Welcome to the Further Light Podcast, presented by Wisconsin Freemasonry, helping you accomplish your Masonic goals through education and more light. And now, I present to you, Brother Chris Lutke. This is Brother Chris Lutke, and today I want to explore the idea of Pythagoras. As Freemasons, there are a lot of people that we tend to associate with or we want to associate with. We want to believe that these people were Freemasons or laid the foundation for Freemasonry. But there's a lot of interesting arguments out there. We've all seen arguments that have certain famous biblical people as Masons, not I'm not talking about the legends and the allegories that go into ritual and teaching. I'm talking about people who are honestly trying to make that connection. Pythagoras is one of those people that we tend to see as maybe the progenitors of masonry or those that started Freemasonry. In reality, Pythagoras is a really difficult character to deal with. It's like almost all other forms of Masonic research, the material is sparse. What's there tends to contradict itself, and it makes for a mess. That being said, it's exactly the sort of thing that we want to talk to talk about here on the Further Light Podcast. So let's talk about Pythagoras. Now, Pythagoras is born sometime around 571, lives until around 497 BCE. To give you a little bit of a timeline, that's going to be before the Battle of Marathon, before Athens and the great uh, Parthenon. Athens exists, but it's a different form of Athens. Everything you think of in the Greek and Roman world really hasn't existed yet. We're in the Greek archaic. Things are still forming. They have to fight the Persians and find some elements of commonality to become the Greeks as we know them today. But he's a Greek philosopher whose teachings emphasize the immortality and transmigration of the soul. In other words, reincarnation. Transmigration means that the soul moves from body to another body. Virtuous, humane behavior towards all living things. So he believed that we needed to be good to all things. And the concept of number as truth in that mathematics not only cleared the mind, but allowed for the objective comprehension of reality. Sounds familiar, sounds very similar to the ideas of mathematics as they tie into Freemasonry. He is, of course, best known in the modern day for the Pythagorean theorem, an issue we'll deal with a little bit later on, which is, of course, a mathematical formula which states that the square of the hypotenuse of a right triangle is equal to the sum of the squares of the other two sides. In other words, 3, 4, 5. If one side equals 3 of any unit, one side equals 4 of any unit, then the hypotenuse needs to be 5. If it is, you have a perfect 90 degrees. But my goal, my goal here is to look at Pythagoras the man, his ideas, and do so in hopes that we might better understand his connection to Freemasonry. The problem throughout this episode will be separating the wheat from the chaff, understanding what is real and what isn't, what is allegory, what is mythology or legend. So let's start at the beginning. Who was Pythagoras. 
What was known of Pythagoras comes from later writers uh, piecing together fragments of his life from contemporaries and students. Like many of these teachers, he's not writing anything down. And when I say like many of these teachers, we have philosophers such as Socrates who doesn't write anything. We have Jesus who doesn't write anything. We have Muhammad who doesn't write anything. These are all oral traditions. Siddhartha, who would become the Buddha, doesn't write anything. They're oral traditions that will be written by their followers, which creates a lot of problem because we don't actually get that firsthand account. Pythagoras is born on the island of Samos off Asia Minor, Turkey. He received a quality education through his father, who's a wealthy merchant. He may have studied in Babylon as well as in Egypt and possibly had the best Greek tutors of the time. His family is very wealthy. He seems to be traveling a lot. And as the son of a merchant, he would have been able to travel on those ships traveling throughout the Mediterranean. At the time, trade is massive throughout the Mediterranean. So this is not a time frame where things are very isolated. He could have gotten on a ship and gone as far as Italy. He could have gone as far as Spain, where we know that there are Greek colonies at the time, as well as Egypt, the Levant, or uh, modern-day Israel, Jordan, Lebanon, etc. All of this is speculative, however, as the information comes from later writers who accepted, and oftentimes uncritically did so, what others wrote about him. If there was an authoritative biography of Pythagoras or original works by the man himself, they are lost, and they always have been. Which leads to the problem of sources. The historiosity, in other words, the parts that we know of Pythagoras, have never been in doubt. We know that he exists. Okay, there's no argument there. We have a historian by the name of Heraclitus, who considered Pythagoras highly overrated, and another contemporary, the visionary Xenophanes, mocked Pythagoras for his belief in reincarnation. By the way, not uncommon where we find these historical people and the accounts tend to be fairly negative, and that's fine because usually these people are ahead of their time and we tend to think negatively of those kinds of people. The difficulty in any discussion of Pythagoras is in trying to keep separate the actual man and his teachings from the mythology that surrounded him even in his lifetime. Some of his later biographers clearly aimed to present him as some kind of godlike figure. And he became the subject of elaborate legends surrounding his historical persona. He's one of those people who's larger than life and would like to attach a lot of ideas to. So we know he existed. Beyond that, the teachings and ideas, we're not so sure. We believe them to be the case, but that means we need to take everything that we see here with a grain of salt. And I'm saying that as a historian. You need to be careful with these issues. As a historian, the job becomes working out how likely a fact or idea is based on what we know, biases that might be present, and essentially averaging the information, looking at and going, well, one person says that, but the other seven don't, so it's probably not true. The more often we see something in older sources, the more likely they are to be true, loosely speaking. It's not always the case. So, we've dealt with the problems of Pythagoras. Let's talk about what he believed. Why is he going to be important? Well, because of the secret nature of his school and the custom of its students to attribute everything to Pythagoras himself is difficult today to determine who actually did which work. To further confuse matters, some forgeries under his name, some still exist, 
circulated in antiquity. The school that Pythagoras established at Croton was, in some ways, more of a secret brotherhood or monastery. This is really sort of an Eastern, one of the Eastern mystery cults, as the Romans might term it. A group that is looking at religion and giving a certain amount of ethics and morality to it. What do I mean? In the Greek world, at the time, religion does not involve morality and ethics. It just doesn't. You get morality and ethics from the law, from philosophy later on, when it makes that term. Pythagoras is one of the first who will do it. But it's not about what's right or wrong. No one thinks that they're being judged for the most part. What's happening is it is about identification. Every town has certain patron gods. You would have different rituals and festivals in those towns where you would bring everyone together. They would identify as followers of, for example, Athena in Athens. They would have the Pentathelenic procession. They would perform some form of ritual and bring the community together. We see similar ideas for Dionysus. We see similar ideas in other places. So it's all about identity. It's later when it combines with philosophy, in part because of Pythagoras, but mostly people after him, that is where we get the idea of morals and ethics as part of religion. Moving on. So his ideas are based on religious teachings, and we're highly concerned with the morality of society. As I said, he's one of the first philosophers that turns from philosophy as studying nature. What makes things up? What is an atom? Are things made of water? These sorts of questions. How does the universe work? And turns towards morality. Members were required to live ethically, love one another, share political beliefs, practice pacifism, or in other words, no combat, no war, and devote themselves to the mathematics of nature. Basically, the concept is that mathematics are to be discovered, not invented. They also abstained from meat. They stayed away from personal property. So this is what's called ascetism. In other words, trying to cut out all of the luxuries of life. And observed a rule of silence, the breaking of which was punishable by death, based on the belief that if someone was in any doubt as to what to say, they should remain silent. Kind of interesting because we deal with the idea of the instructive tongue and the attentive ear and are constantly reminded that we have two ears and one tongue. Interesting idea from Pythagoras there. Pythagoras saw his religious and scientific views as inseparably interconnected. Religion and science is one. Really common in the medieval world or towards the end of the Roman Empire, really new at this time in history. He believed in the theory of metapsychosis, or the transmigration, transmigration of the soul and its reincarnation again and again after death in the bodies of humans, animals, or vegetables until it became moral. Very similar to the ideas that we see coming out of Hinduism. By the way, something that he might have actually been exposed to because we know the Silk Road is functioning into the Middle East, Egypt, and into parts of Europe at this time. So Hindu ideas that are rising around 500 BCE, around the same time that we see Pythagoras, could have gotten there, although proving it would be incredibly difficult. He was one of the first to propose that the thought processes and soul were located in the brain, not the heart. 
Another one of his central beliefs was that the essence of being and the stability of all things that created the universe could be found in the form of numbers, and that it can be encountered through the study of mathematics, the idea that you can use numbers to either prove deity or prove creation or even prove existence. For instance, he believed that things like health relied on a stable proportion of elements, with too much or too little of one thing causing an imbalance that makes a person unhealthy, the middle way, balance, a theme that we see in a lot of Masonic teachings. He believed that the number system, and therefore the universe itself, was based on the sum of the numbers 1 to 4, i.e. 10, and that odd numbers were masculine, even numbers were feminine, yin and yang, Again, sort of an Eastern idea. He may have been aware of it. He may not. He may have created these ideas. It could be parallel development. He discovered the theory of mathematical proportions constructed from three to five geometrical solids and also discovered square numbers and square roots, at least in the West. And I say that because the Chinese are discovering square numbers and square roots as well. The discovery of the golden ratio, 1.618 to 1, is often attributed to Pythagoras, although that's very unclear because those same ideas are going to be applied really rapidly in sculpture, and so it's unlikely that we're getting those ideas newly developed at that point. It's just too close uh, for the speed at which that idea moves in the ancient world, but it's possible. He was one of the first to, tra to think that the Earth was round, that all planets have an axis, and that all planets travel around one central point, which he originally identified as Earth, but later renounced it for the idea that the planets revolve around a central fire, although he never identifies the central fire as the Sun. He also believed that the Moon was another planet that he called a counter-Earth, this sort of idea of balance that he's always trying to fit. Sometimes we see ideas such as confirmation bias coming out in the most brilliant of people. Pythagoras was also very interested in music, and I touched on this when we dealt with the liberal arts and music. And he wanted to improve music in his day, which he believed was not harmonious enough and was all too hectic. According to legend, he discovered that musical notes could be translated into mathematical equations by listening to blacksmiths at work. Pythagorean tuning is a system by which mu of musical tuning in which the frequency relationships of all intervals are based on the ratio of 3 to 2. A system which has been documented as long ago as 3500 BCE. It is also possible with many of these ideas that he is simply collecting the ideas from his travels and he is the first to codify them. So something to think about because that doesn't necessarily make him lesser. It makes him a collector or someone who has these ideas and ties them together, sort of the strength of the generalist. He also believed that in the musica universalis, or the harmony of the spheres, again, an idea we dealt with in music in the liberal arts. The idea that the planets and stars moved according to mathematical equations, which correspond to musical notes and thus produced a kind of symphony. The idea being that these notes, this sound, is something that we couldn't humanly hear, and if we could, we probably would die listening to it. Same concept of biblical angels, where should you ever actually see one, you would die, because they don't actually look like Ben Affleck. What about his role as father of philosophy? Well, Pythagoras is the most famous of the pre-Socratic philosophers, those that taught before Socrates, Plato, and Aristotle. 
Pythagoras is the first Greek thinker to found a school which for hundreds of years was known as the Pythagoreans, something I might get into in another episode. He's also the first to call himself a philosopher, a lover of wisdom, and he had a great influence on Plato, the most famous and influential of Greek philosophers. This is because Pythagoras has a, uh, excuse me, it's possible that Plato began as a, Socrates, as a student of Socrates adhering to dialectic and establishing truth, and then only gradually moved towards embracing the idealism of Pythagoras. Basically, what's happening is, more than likely, Socrates himself is aligning with the Pythagoreans, at least early in life, that's going to have a, an impact on his thought process, which is going to come out in the writings of Plato, the Republic, and others, where he shares Socrates' ideas, because, of course, Socrates writes nothing. So, however he introduced it, Pythagorean thought significantly influenced Plato's philosophy, which included the concept of an ultimate truth not subject to opinion, of an ethical way of living in line with that truth, the idea of the soul's immortality, the necessity of salvation through philosophy, again, the idea of salvation coming through morals and ethics, which will eventually be applied to religion, and of learning as recollection. Pythagorean concepts are also apparent throughout Plato's work, but most notably the dialogues of the Mino and Phaedo. What about the Pythagorean theorem? Of course, that's sort of the elephant in the room, right? In mathematics, Pythagoras is commonly given credit for discovering what is now known as the Pythagorean theorem. It is a theorem in geometry that stated, or states, that in a right-angle triangle, the square of the hypotenuse is equal to the sum of the squares of the other two sides. In other words, if you have a side that measures 3 and a side that measures 4, 3 squared plus 4 squared equals 25. The square of 25 is, or the square root of 25 is 5. That should be the hypotenuse. So, that is the basic Pythagorean theorem. Awesome. Fantastic. Everything is a number, which is the motto of the Pythagorean school, but it doesn't mean that he wrote this. Pythagoras was influenced by the Babylonians, so the theorem attributed to his name probably came from them because we know that they apply it earlier on. This had been known and utilized previously by the Babylonians and the Indus Valley Civilization in modern-day Pakistan, which the Fertile Crescent area, Mesopotamia, the Babylonians are trading with on a regular basis. We have items that go back and forth. He, Pythagoras, or perhaps one of his students, is thought to have constructed the first proof. In other words, taking this idea, proving it to be the case, and then presenting it. After all, if you're going to say something, you need to be able to prove it. And sometimes the ability to prove it is, in fact, just as important as the idea itself. What about his connection to Freemasonry? Here we get a serious issue. As much as I would love to prove some connection between Pythagoras and the Masons, I cannot find the extraordinary evidence required to prove such an extraordinary claim. In many cases, authors who have argued for such a connection rely on parallel development and ideas. Just because two things are similar does not mean they interact or have a direct relationship. For example, we have multiple people trying to invent the radio at the same time. The same with the telephone, same with many other adventure, uh, inventions. And we see the same with ideas, fiat money and other things, where it appears in China and then Europe, or Europe and then China, and sometimes very, very close to one another. 
Some Masonic teachings are similar to Buddhist ideas, for example, such as balance in the middle way. That doesn't mean that we were necessarily influenced by Buddhism. Now, other authors point to Pythagoras as a monotheist. This is a problem because the writings we have are unclear and seem to mix up the idea of monad or point. In other words, the source of all numbers, good, desirable, indivisible in Pythagorean thought with the idea of monotheism. He's a Greek. Monotheism and polytheism mean totally different things to him. There is no concept of a single overarching god because gods represent places and specific elements. They don't represent a judge in the modern sense. And so they mean two very different things. The two are not the same. A point is not a deity any more than his idea of the dyad, a line, in other words, two points connected, diversity, duality, femininity, which come from that, reflects Zoroastrian dualism of good and bad. So he has an idea of duality in the form of a line, but that doesn't necessarily mean that he's taking that from the Zoroastrians who are among the first in the West to come up with this idea of duality of good and evil. So the problem again goes back to the sources. Many groups have tried to claim Pythagoras for numerous reasons. Unfortunately, they rely on later sources who are reading their belief into already questionable sources. I fear the same has happened in an attempt to make Pythagoras a mason, as it were, and as we seem to attempt to do to famous ancients regularly. We try to prove our idea rather than seeking out the truth. It is nothing more than confirmation bias. We can fit the evidence to any argument if you work hard enough and you massage it enough. So it's the basic problem of, well, rather a lot of Masonic research. I believe the closest we can come to a connection to Pythagoras is through our similar teachings in some areas. He was possibly the first philosopher to consider ethics and morals rather than how the world works and the nature of substance. Assuming that this is true, then we do have a connection, albeit indirect. We as a group of moral men seeking self-improvement do so in the tradition of the Pythagoreans, the Greeks, the Romans, and the Enlightenment. Our tradition of taking good men and making them better through the application of moral and ethical teachings is exactly what Pythagoras is doing in the 5th century BCE. Therefore, we are following in a very old Western tradition. In a sense, we are connected. We are standing on the shoulders of giants, and one of those giants is Pythagoras. That does not mean that Pythagoras is a mason, or that we've taken all of his teachings, because as we've seen, his teachings are rather hard to come across in the first place. The connection need not be direct to be present. There's no need for a direct connection when our teachings are so universal. As Freemasons, our teachings are not particularly specific. They aren't all from one culture or one idea. And they tend to be the universal teachings that we see in almost every society. So, let's draw this together. Let's find some conclusions. Pythagoras is literally an example of a man, a myth, a legend. We know he existed. We know things have been applied to his name, accredited to him, ascribed to him that aren't, and he's become a legendary figure to the point where almost any student in the Pythagorean school may have actually been, any of their thoughts may have been credited to Pythagoras himself, even though Pythagoras may have been dead at the time, possibly because he was being chased by his enemies 
got to a bean field, wasn't allowed to touch beans, and decided instead of running across the bean field to be killed. Yes, this may actually be the truth of Pythagoras' death, but I digress. Despite the lack of solid connection, I would suggest that he is someone who you want to study further. If nothing else, understanding the thoughts and ideas of Pythagoras help us understand the Greeks. They help us understand Plato's philosophical ideas and possibly some of the mystery faiths of that period that may have influenced Pythagoras' followers, the Pythagoreans. Thank you for joining me, brother Chris Lidke and the entire Further Light team on your quest to find more light through masonry. Are you interested in learning more about Freemasonry in Wisconsin? Visit wisconsinmasons.org. That's wimasons.org. Learn more about Freemasonry and access more educational content and further light. Any questions, comments, or suggestions, please email us at education at wimasons.org. Once again, that email address is education at wisconsinmasons.org. Thank you for listening.